Again, this is Narrative Shifts, guys. Welcome. It's Rajat Speaks, and we are redefining and reframing the narratives that go out about us. Um, when Narrative Shifts began, it was one of these things where I really wanted to communicate uh, just what we're doing in spaces that sometimes people don't see us in. We're here. We've been here. We've been thriving in excellence. We've been doing a lot of things and people don't always see us, whether that's our own communities or communities looking from the outside in. And so um, really wanted to just kind of carve a lane out so that we can have our stories, tell our stories, you know, from our perspectives, encourage our own families and uh, those who are coming uh, be, be, you know, after us, right. Generationally. So, Today, we are um, kicking off our third episode of our five-part series on Black men and mental health. If you've stuck around, you know Shanta. She's been here for the first uh, couple of episodes, and so this is round three for her. She's familiar <laughs> to the show. I was like, yo, she's kind of like the Dr. Phil of the show, just coming oh, in. No. <laughs> <laughs> just here, like, hey. <laughs> but it's cool. It's been good to have you and excited about um, just what you bring to the table because you do mm-hmm. offer just a really good cl- clinical you know, aspect which I think is really, really nice. Um, so today, guys, we've got Michael McDaniel in the house. Hey. Hello. <laughs> Everybody is good. Oh, it is great. Say, say it again. Mentally stable today. I'm glad to hear it. I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear it. That's one of those things where it's like, yeah, yep. <laughs> if you said that like 15 years ago, we wouldn't quite understand. I think we all understand. <laughs> we grew yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but really excited to have you on the show. Obviously, it's been years even. I was thinking like, gosh, when was the last time we saw each other in, in real life, right? Like, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. We kind of have these like moments where we see each other like five years, 10 years. Ten years. <laughs> and kinda... Hey! <laughs> exactly. I love that, though, because we can keep it pushing and it, it just, you know, mm-hmm. it's like we can pick up like it was yesterday. So that's a blessing, I think. Um But yeah, just wanted to connect with you today, you know, welcome you to the show and, you know, let you share your experiences in terms of mental health awareness or just some of your own personal challenges or barriers or um, successes, you know, that's come from uh, what you've experienced over the last several years. So um, I guess, you know, right off rip, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, Mike. Well, Michael McDaniel, as she's mentioned a few times, (laughs) Um, I'm a comedian by trade also a voice actor. Well, I'm primarily a voice actor, if I'm honest. Um, that actually got me into, into comedy. A lot of celebrity voices and stuff like that. Hiding my gifts, you know, church, you know, it's only a certain amount of things you could do when you're in the, when you're in the faith. Mm-hmm. That's how it used to be, which yeah. has played into my mental health, <laughs> not being as best as it could be. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's a whole nother subject but we might talk about that today who knows but who knows, who knows? Mm-hmm. but anyway uh several commercials uh television been in a couple movies um you know and uh when i started i had black hair on my face and now it's all white <laughs> got it <laughs> well thank you for that um so i'm hearing you i know that you're a comedian I, by trade i know that you know you've, you've definitely g- developed your gifts it's been really cool to see that progression kind of from way back in the days i've known you what over i guess now gosh like over 20 years probably right or close to it yeah it's been yeah it's been it's been some time so it's been yeah. good to see that that 
you know, trajectory of, of what you've been doing and what God has allowed and the doors that he's opened for you um, through all of this. Um, if you, so who is your favorite? Let's, let's talk a little bit about the comedy and the impressions. Like who's your, who's your favorite to impersonate? Well, today is Dr. Phil since you not just the Dr. Phil. The show. <laughs> All right. So let's, okay. So, so I'm going to give you a scenario. How about this? Um, All right. I see. Let's see if, if, if you were interviewing Dr. Phil about his own mental health stability, what would it sound like? Uh, Dr. Phil, uh, can, can you be honest about your mental health? It seems like you're a little abrasive in your conversations and, uh, I just feel like there's something to be said about that. You, you you care to dive into that? Now, the first thing I have to say is you are not qualified <laughs> to tell me what's going on with me. Last I checked, my name is doctor. You're, you're, you're not even a Phil. <laughs> Hole in the floor. You're, you need Phil. Oh. Now that dog won't hunt. No. Best, you <laughs> shut your mouth and let me ask you the questions <laughs> and help you find the answers about your life. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> That's good. I love that. I think though, um, Steve Harvey might have something to say. He might have something, maybe. <laughs> you see, that's you <laughs> will feel safe. <laughs> now, that's the problem with people. <laughs> you want to focus on what's going on with him <laughs> and not care nothing about what's going on with you. See, he told you the dog wouldn't hunt and <laughs> the dog won't hunt him. <laughs> That dog don't even bark. You understand what I'm saying? That might not even be a dog. <laughs> That's a- <laughs> the next thing I might say might be crazy. So I don't want to. Okay. Then thing goes somewhere else. Got you. Got you. <laughs> <laughs> Give us just just take us out with a little Denzel before we get serious. <laughs> I'm sorry. The teeth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Uh, we're talking about black men and mental health. And um, <laughs> yeah, I'll never admit it, but, uh, you know, I, I was in special ed. A lot of people would, uh, you know, you never think you're looking at me, would you? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. I was in the special reading class. Me, that's right. I couldn't read. Huh? Huh? <laughs> now you're going to give me a script and expect me to go from front page to the back page and all that? No, 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 no. Mm-mm, no. <laughs> it's a new day, Shanta. Huh? Huh? <laughs> what day is it, Shanta? It's, it's a new day. It's a new day. That's right. It ain't Monday. It's a new day. <laughs> better tell them before I tell them. Huh? All right. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it. It's been a while since I've heard it live and, and, and you know, in your space. So. <laughs> the sounds through StreamYard. 
Say it again. I have no idea how it sounds through StreamYard. It sounds pretty good. It, so, so Shanta, what we have to do in this space is actually pause a little bit to let him talk. Because if we if we cut him, his sound cuts out. Okay, so we just got to be deliberate. Oh, okay. We just have to be deliberate in that. That's all. Um. All right. So, appreciate you. Um. Would love you to tell me uh, a little bit about what you have experienced in terms of your own um, mental health challenges. So, what I know that you have had some experiences with uh, finding therapists and, and, and going and, you know, seeing a therapist. And so I want to know what kind of got you there and what was sort of that tipping point for you? Like, you know what? Yeah, I need to go see somebody. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if there was a tipping point. Okay. Much as it was kind of like, a, uh, is this normal? Mm. You know, at, at this point in my life, like, why do I feel this way? You know, is are these regrets? Are these, you know, how many things are unfinished? Why do I do this? You know, it's more so behavioral things and looking at my own patterns mm-hmm. and kind of being honest about, you know, you know how people like struggle and they're like, well, I should be here by now. And they say all those things. Yes. Then... When you look back at you know, over your life and you try to think like, okay, well, what really stopped me from getting there? Mm. Can't come up with an answer, you know. And then you have to be honest and look at your look back at your childhood and at your life. I'm like, okay, there was nothing normal about your life. Mm. That has something to do with it, you know, like the things that you gave yourself to. Why do why would you give yourself to that? You know what I'm saying? Why would why would you drop everything and make that a priority when not really something you should have prioritized? You know, what what were you trying to escape? You know, mm-hmm. and are you trying to escape now? So it's it's always those the questions that I have that I wasn't gonna continue to be a fool and just kind of try to figure out on my own anymore. You know, study, I read countless books, and the more I read, the more I study, the more I'm like, okay, yeah, you can't really do this by yourself. Let's see if somebody has some expertise, you know, or even somebody smarter than me, like somebody older than me, somebody wiser than me. Like, what do you think about this? You know, it might not have always been a mental health professional, but it might have been an elder, somebody who's walked the road that I walked, they could kind of at least point me in the right mm-hmm. direction. Say, well, this might be what that is, or this is what that is, you know, and then that'll lead me to the next step. So. Okay. So I've heard you say, um, you referenced some things about, about childhood and how that wasn't like normal. And I mean, obviously, you know, most of our childhoods are not normal because we don't know what that template is supposed to look like. Um, but as I heard you say that, you know, there were possibly some regrets or why am I regretting certain things? When you were a child, what, for instance, what did Michael McDaniel want to be when he grew up? Like, what was that? And then did you feel like you met that? And then did you have regrets as a result of not achieving that? Well, it's weird. Like, I never had a thing that I want to be this when I grow up. Mm -hmm. That never happened. The only thing I would be in the classroom not paying attention to the teacher but thinking about 
how I would teach the class differently. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, those were things that I would do. <laughs> I would I would be like, eh. Meanwhile, I'm getting a D. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just I'm just not think I'm not here. Hmm. Like I would go live, I would live in my head. Yeah. You know, I would live in, I would find a, a different space to live in. And, and you know what's funny is I've never talked about this and Honestly, right now in this moment, I never really thought about this as oh. that escape that I would have in my head and I would go live there mm. in my daydreams. Mm. It wasn't that I was stupid and I couldn't do the work. It's just that I liked what was happening up here or the thought or the, the road that I was going down was mm. more entertaining than what was going on in the classroom. Wow. Mm -hmm. That also, I think, is a symptom of something too. Hmm. But part of, partly, it's a gift. But at the other side of it, it's just who I am, a creative person. But the other side of it is, you know, why? Hmm. You know, why? Shanti, you have anything to add to that as a clinician? Why that he's talking about? I mean, so escapism is a thing and being distracted and daydreaming. And like he said, what's going on in here is much more exciting than what's happening in the classroom or when your mama telling you to wash dishes or fold clothes or sweep the floor. So we do get caught up. Those attention deficits do happen. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times kids are either labeled ADD or ADHD, depending on what their symptoms are, or, or lazy. And it's not that you're lazy or stupid. Mm -hmm. You just like, this is not for me right here. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm gonna go in here and I'm gonna be chill, I'm gonna be cool, I'm gonna be peaceful, I'm gonna live my best life in my head, and I'm gonna worry about y'all over here talking to me about. So we do things like that to protect ourselves, right? We do things like that to escape whatever the monotony or you know, whatever barrier is. We go mm -hmm. inside. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Um, you know, one of the things that, that has come up quite a bit as I was interviewing some people, so I've already have some, you know, set up and just conversations over the years is obviously still the stigma that exists within our community as it pertains to mental health, right? And just us getting help or, or even just saying like we need some help. Sometimes that's the most difficult thing. And a lot of us come from a backdrop that is quite religious or spiritual in that way. And so I know personally, you know, I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't have like a huge spiritual upbringing, but um, when I did, you know, start going to church and, and, and being, you know, plugged in as we call it, I started getting some pushback, you know, when, as an undergrad student who was studying psychology, right? Like I was getting some pushback because it was always, oh no, 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 no. Like, you know, if you're going through something, you just got to pray. We just got to keep praying. We just got to get to the altar. We got to lay hands. We got to cast that demon out. We've got all these things. And it almost began to be like, okay, well, if I'm having a rough day or I'm having a bad day or I'm, or days, right? Because it's one thing to just be blue for one day, but now you've got this um, succession of days and, and you might've been going through something or whatever it is, sharing that then sometimes it was like, mm, I don't know if I can talk to them about this. Or if you did, there was immediate kind of pushback, you know? And so I'm curious, just given, if you want to share a little bit about your background, you know, in terms of, of um, your faith and religion and that kind of context to frame it. If you want to share a little bit about that and then 
talk to me about your feelings about this or what you've experienced, you know, in terms of, of that stigma, uh, I guess, bumping into or, or, or crashing into uh, the faith aspect. I think, <clears throat> well, I, I guess I'll start with the background thing. Mm-hmm. I started attending church regularly, like consistently for years in when I was 17 years old. So, you know, my background is you know, my father was in the streets. You know, my father, you know, my father sold drugs. You know, my father sold drugs, transitioned that into real estate, got out of the street, you know, at restaurants. My father had a store at a fish market mm. when he was 18 years old. So he was a different type of person. You know what I mean? So like, but in that era, wasn't many opportunities for him. Like in a, if he had been placed in a different environment, my father was a mathematical genius mm. as like he could do a long multiplication problem or a long division problem in his mind before mm. he finished it on paper. And he did not remember how to do it on paper. But I sat there and watched my stepmother like try to calculate it on paper while my dad had already done it in his head. Mm. And there that was the first time I saw his genius. I was 16 years old. I was like, man, this dude's a freak. Like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Like, so when you see those type of things, and now mind you, then I'm his oldest child. So him being 19, going on 20 when I was born, being in that, one, being in the street, mm-hmm. being a, a father or being a parent is not like, I just got, I got a son. I love my son. I take care of my son. But me being the oldest, I was kind of the confidant. You know, a lot of things weren't hidden for me. I saw a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So this is the core of my life. You know what I mean? My parents split when I was six. I became an adult. Mm-hmm. What made me become an adult was they asked me, well, I think it was more so my father, who do I want to live with? Mm-hmm. Like, I had to choose. Mm-hmm. And my brother, he was just born. He's probably four or five months old. So it's just two two kids at the time. Naturally, he's going with my mother, you know, but I have to decide. So being six, making that decision, I became an adult that day. Wow. And I didn't realize that until I was an adult, you know. So this that's one of the things that you kind of trace out, like, why do I do this? Why do I do that? And it was like, oh, that's why, mm-hmm. you know. So then fast forward. You kind of raise yourself. You kind of come up with your own moral codes, what's right, what's wrong. And you have your father tell you, be better than me, be a better man than I am. Mm. But he doesn't define what that means for you. Mm -hmm. So you have to define it yourself. And one of those things was trying to be the best, be a quote unquote good guy, be the best man I could be. And then I literally had a great encounter with Jesus Christ, you know, and then that turned into church. And then church will kind of turn you from Jesus Christ. Mm. Church by nature is, means a safe place, but church people aren't safe mm. in, in most situations, you know, because church is the place where you learn how to put on a mask. Mm. You, that's where it's Halloween every Sunday, you know, <laughs> in church because people don't, they don't know who they are. Everybody's just trying to conform and and fit the standard of the environment. And that creates this tension 
that's underneath the surface. And then when you find out they're doing all this crazy stuff when nobody else is looking, now you're shocked because the real you is trying to find you. Wow, Mike. Yeah, so when it comes to the quote-unquote stigmas that are put out there, they tell you to just pray. All the stuff, that's not biblical. Mm -hmm. You know, Solomon says, Two are better than one. There's so many scriptures. If there be two or three gathering in my name, there I'm in the midst. As far as like, just pray about it. Confess your faults one to another. Pray ye one for another that you may be what? Healed. So why are you telling me to do what God told you to do for me in that regard? If I'm bringing a fault to you, if I'm bringing my pain to you, Mm. you know, that's this is what the church or the ecclesia or the called out as a body is supposed to do. Like if I hit my foot, my mind says, ooh, my body, everything responds to that foot. Like Mm. hands, everything leans toward that point. So to tell me, just go pray. God's going to work it out. You're lying because that's not how it works. Mm. You know what I mean? That's not how it works. You know, everybody has a job. Everybody has a, a place. You know, everybody has a space. Like Moses had Aaron because he stuttered. Mm-hmm. So why didn't Moses just go pray <laughs> so he wouldn't stutter anymore? Because the prayer would have took 10 years. <laughs> 10 years trying to get it out, sir. <laughs> I'm saying though, like, it's utterly ridiculous and it's unnatural. Mm. So it's like we have these practices that are unscriptural, but are cultural to that environment. It, it, this is how we do it. So it teaches you. I love the Bible. Mm-hmm. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. It doesn't teach you transformation. It teaches you conformation. They mm-hmm. But they want you to conform, you know, and the person who challenges the environment with scriptural context, you're the devil. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, I hate that there's so many people that are like confused by that. Like, open up your, open up that Bible and realize that you might leave with more mental health issues because now you got to heal from the years of being in this cultish idea that's mm-hmm. scriptural. So a lot of people never get free and they don't know why. Because mm-hmm. I'm doing all the good things. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, if mm-hmm. I'm doing all of this, why is this still happening? Right. Because it has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with the culture of the environment that you mm-hmm. get yourself to. And you have to be able to, I pray that God brings you out so you can like, hear, but you can't see it. Like, here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus versus church. And, and just look at the life of Jesus. When Jesus, why did he come? He came, he was God in the flesh. He came healing people. He came raising the dead. Mm-hmm. But he didn't 
let people kill him until it was time for him to give his life. And what I mean by that is he would escape. Like they'd be like, where'd he go? He <laughs> and he praying, he didn't like, all right, I'm out. And he would just leave. Mm-hmm. And they'd be scratching their head, but he was protecting himself. Mm. You see what I'm saying? He protecting himself because he could have easily gotten caught up like most of us do. Well, this is what I'm called to do. Mm. No, it was a bigger calling for him. He understood like, yeah, that's cool, but not now. (laughs) No man take my life, but Mm. get down. So he knew when that was going to happen. Church doesn't teach. They don't, they tell us to follow Jesus, but they don't want us to be like him completely. Mm. You know, when they have heinous offerings, they don't want us to turn to flip over the tables and say, you turn the house of God into a dinner thief. They don't want us to do that. Mm. You see what I mean? So you have these myths, like all of this stuff is mental. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It it impacts your your spirit, like bishops having breakdowns, dying in hotel rooms with cocaine in their nose. Right. Why? Why? So that's my take on it. I appreciate that. That's like, that's so honest, Mike. Um, You know, I think about just my, you know, my own experience in this and I I felt a little screwed up because, you know, I wasn't raised in church. Look, no knock on the church, but like, you know, to your point, like I can echo the majority of that, you know, from my own experience and then coming, um, you know, from the, the first short church that I was ever, you know, at for some s- substantial amount of time, mm-hmm. feeling like I don't even know what to do. Like when I left, it was such a, a weird um, place for me, you know, just trying to, like you said, like you're trying to find yourself in this space and it's like, how do we even do this? You know, and you you have this, um, this culmination or, or I'm, I'm thinking of like a backpack just full of ideals and full of things and and I'm carrying this backpack and I'm like I'm weighed down I don't even know what this is anymore and that that was my own kind of experience and it's been sort of I think several years of let's unpack literally this backpack right so that it can it can get it can get lighter um I am curious to know you know for you and I know you said there was no real tipping point, right, of you making a decision to go to therapy. Um, but when was the first time that, that you went or what, if you're comfortable sharing, you know, what caused that first uh, for you to go, you know, the first time? The first time I went that I can remember, <laughs> my aunt took me when I was a kid. I remember that. Okay. To, to see somebody because hmm. when choosing to live with my father, I didn't know that meant that I was about to live with everybody. Mm-hmm. So I went to like eight different elementary schools, mm-hmm. eight with a whole bunch of different people. So now, mind you, this is during my formative years. It's on the tail end of my formative years. So inconsistency became a part of my core. Mm-hmm. Remember my aunt? Well, I didn't know what it was. I'm just talking to this white man. And she just sitting in the chair. I'm sitting in the chair just asking me questions. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what came, but that's the only, I only went one time. You know, I only went one time. But I remember when my father went to prison and I moved with my mother. And I needed to go because I had nightmares all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like I had nightmares literally every night. 
And it was so bad, I would be like half awake and half sleep, mm-hmm. but still in the nightmare. I can hear people talking in the other room, kind of see them, but I'm kind of stuck in this space. Well, you know, so probably 2013, 14. I remember 2012. I had a space and time where I was just so broken. Mm-hmm. I didn't care whether I lived or died. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't care. Like I, it wasn't like I was just out here living reckless, but I was so detached. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just like, whatever. You know, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't doing them drugs. I wasn't drinking. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. You know what I mean? I just didn't feel. I felt. Some, I didn't feel well, mm-hmm. you know, mind you, like the only stable figure in my life. I didn't even think about this. My grandmother was my mm-hmm. stable place my whole life. Mm-hmm. I'm not about to cry on the freaking Zoom. Cry on the freaking Zoom. <laughs> this ain't even Zoom, no. But it you- don't even matter. You know? <laughs> but. Your grandmother was special. Loved you, her. Uh, you, you know my grandma. Yeah. She's an amazing woman. You know my grandma. She was the only safe place and consistent place that I had my whole life. Mm. And I didn't. Mm. And it's okay to do that. I didn't realize till later that that's what she meant. Mm-hmm. Stability left. Now, mind you, I'm a grown man. I'm 32. By all intents and purposes, grown man. I'm 32 mm-hmm. when she leaves. Mm-hmm. And her leaving took a lot of meaning away from things for me. Mm-hmm. You know, holidays were not the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was grandma's house. It was a magical place. All my family was there. We had fun. We was laughing. Everybody's a comedian, you know. <laughs> It was just, and I wasn't the comedian. My family, everybody else was the comedian. I was just there to laugh and enjoy them. Mm. All that stuff just stopped. Mm. Mm. You know, it just came to a screeching halt. And it was just like, I didn't think about that. I didn't know what that meant. So that few years before that, my father had a stroke. So my father's in a nursing home. I'm taking care, you know, I take care of him. So it's like all of these things kind of just mm. piles on you. Plus the things you don't even know are on you. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, you're just carrying that backpack you're talking about. And then the church stuff mm. on top of all of that, you know, and the roles that you walked away from. In your mind, like this is the role that I was playing, and I just left that. So you got all this unfinished stuff, and you're like, "Well, where should I be? Who am I?" And you just hit a wall. Yeah. You know, I started reading books. <laughs> I'm like, and that's really what started my therapy. I started reading uh, Nathaniel Braden. Started reading like all his books. Are you familiar with him? The a little bit, yeah. Of esteem and all of those things. I'm passing them out like you should read this. Mm. <laughs> You know, and it talked about, you know, one thing it really struck me was like, 
if you lie about anything, mm -hmm. even if the people believe it, you know, mm -hmm. when you look in the mirror, you see a liar. Mm -hmm. Look in the mirror and see a liar. How can you have strong self-esteem? Mm -hmm. Even if you lie to yourself. Yeah. And you know you're lying to yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you really feel about you? Mm -hmm. So it's like you start dealing with it, and I'm like, oh, I don't like myself. I was reading, um, I know what it was, John C. Maxwell, 21 Laws. You know, he got all these books with all these laws and all this other stuff. This <laughs> book <laughs> probably came out like 2013, 2014. I got to right. this, and the fourth chapter was on self-esteem. And he quoted oh. Daniel Brayton. And then that took me down the path. I was like, okay, who is this guy? And what did he say about self-esteem? So I went and started researching. I was like, oh, God, I got low self-esteem. Like, now, mind you, I've been in, on stage in front of thousands of people. I've been on TV. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, like, I'm probably one of the only people that I know, besides myself, that knows what it's like to be on TV every day and be broke. <laughs> mm. You know? And, like, all of that stuff plays with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, people who know you think you're famous because they right. know you. Right. I'm like, I'm not famous, dude. Like, you just know that that's me. <laughs> but nobody else knows. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you have all this, this culmination, all this thing, and you're trying to build something. But how do you build it when you're broke? Mm -hmm. I'm in on you. And you start hating things that you love because of the pressure and the anxiety that comes with trying to make it work. So I ended up in a therapist's office. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, and this was 2012, 2013, like around what time? I didn't end up in the therapist's office, I'm sure, until 2013. Okay. Kind of a, I'm fixing myself Toward the end of that year, it's like, I'm I'm all right. I'm going to be all right. And uh, crashed and burned. 2013, mm. when, like that summer, I think is when it all came to a head. Mm. My knees, I broke down and just started asking God to, to really help me. And he did. And mm. part of that help was therapy. You know what awesome. I'm saying? <laughs> it was somebody else to, to find packed and let them, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let me see myself, you know. Were you, when you decided to go, because obviously, you know, that I'm hearing you reference, you know, this proverbial breakdown or actual breakdown. Um, in that moment, did you know where to go at that time? Did you, had you already looked up some places? Did you know, okay, I'm going to try this person or, or was that also kind of a barrier within itself? Like, okay, I don't, I don't know, you know. Ironically, I have uh, friends who are uh, <laughs> doctors and, you know, psychologists and stuff like that. So I started asking them, like, mm -hmm. who do you suggest? Like, who do you, you know what I mean? Okay, you know, good. If we too cool, you know, I need somebody, you know, who, where should I go? Who should I talk to about this and about that? And mm -hmm. even, like, I would break down the issue, like, who's best for this? Who's best for mm -hmm. that? You know, and kind of just go from there, you know. But I ended up talking to one person, and and that was that. She kind of helped. But the crazy part is I had read so much, and mm. I understood so much 
at that point, like I was just talking about what I found out mm-hmm. about me. <laughs> and she would just be like, usually people who are this aware, are there, they're not here. You, they uh-huh. come. I was like, I'm sorry, this is in the book, but I need your help still. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading and stuff, but. <laughs> I, might, I might be reading it wrong. Like, help. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's real. That's yeah. real. Um, thank you for sharing that for sure. Um, I have a couple more questions. I know, Shanta, I have a, a, a clinical question to ask you because I was hearing Mike talk about, um, you know, going from house to house and just in a lot of different mm-hmm. environments when he was growing up, um, staying with his dad. And so, Mike, I've known Mike for years. I know that he is an, he's a creative in a real way. So very creative. And oftentimes that gets um, and, and you deal with children in this space, right, a lot. So oftentimes that gets um framed as ADHD or all of these different sort of um, diagnoses, right? And I just, you know, I feel like there's a fine line between the creative expressions Mm -hmm. and I guess coping, right, in healthy ways. I think there's a fine line there. And so sometimes I think about that. You know, I remember going through some stuff in California. One of my um, pastors was like, you know, I believe God gave you all these gifts for you. Like I obviously is for others, you know, to share, but that, that, that switch in thinking really helped me at one point. Like I was just kind of like, dang, right. Because without these artsy things that I do without that, right. Mm-hmm. If I don't put energy into that stuff, I'm mm-hmm. spiraling fast. Do you know what I mean? And I, I just, I feel incomplete and I feel just like the pits. Right. Um, and so for me, I know it's, yeah, let me get that writing in. Let me get the paint, whatever it is. It's it's an outlet, but it also can be that thing. And I found over the years that I would dive all the way into. So when I was hearing Mike say that, you know, he would be in his head, you know, how how do you process that as a from a clinical standpoint, right? Because you're watching a kid go in his head all the time. And it may be the safest space at that time because maybe there is harm out here. Not saying there was at that time, right, that that Michael was sharing, but maybe there's harm or something, you know, out here. And it's like, okay, let me just go in my head because this is the safe space. Mm -hmm. So we know that to be coping or Mm -hmm. escape. We know that to be escape, that part. So there's a fine line between escaping and and healthy um, coping. Correct. So how do we distinguish that? So it can be challenging to differentiate, but the way the behaviors are exhibited, right? Because uh, just a little snippet inside of my life. Oh, I like to sing. I was like, what? Hold up. Let's that- see. I use singing as a coping mechanism when I'm happy and when I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. So you don't know. Mm. You can find that with a lot of our kids, right? So being in your head, that's, you know, I'm happy, but I'm also protecting myself, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing, drawing. Mm-hmm. Do a lot of art therapy with kids, having them draw out. But sometimes the things that they draw are not the things that you were hoping to see. Mm-hmm. You know, This may be violence in the home. This may be some type of low self-esteem. That foundation is, is cracked. We got to find healthy coping skills, healthy ways to deal, right? So you do want to encourage those gifts because, you know, 
Mike and, and both you have introduced the concepts of, of religion to it, the gifts he gives us are there to, to help us through, right? But we got to recognize that we aren't always supposed to be using those tools by ourselves. We need some guidance, right? You need that music teacher that's going to take you to different places and expose you to things so you can sing mm-hmm. when you're feeling sad. You got something to look forward to or that art teacher that's going to encourage you to, you know, put your work in an art contest or in an editorial that's published, right? To help build that self-esteem. So we have to first help kids identify their gifts, their skills. We call, you know, their snaps. What are your strengths, right? What are your abilities? You know, what are you good at? I've been singing since I was knee-high to or whatever because I was in like three youth choirs simultaneously Mm -hmm. when I was younger. But they did come with the what do you have to be sad for? Or we're going to pray about it, right? But hold up. God also gave us um, therapists. He gave us physical doctors. Mm-hmm. He gave us dietitians. We're supposed to use the resources that are available to us. We're not supposed to bury the talents and walk away. Hold mm-hmm. up, Charlie. You're supposed to make that talent work for you. Amen. So we mm-hmm. have to you know, not encourage them to stay within, but to outwardly express in a positive, safe, healthy manner. That's what I tell my kids. We're going to push. We're going to work on what's positive, what's safe, and what's healthy. So kicking and biting and screaming, that's not healthy. It's not safe. It's not positive. If it don't fit those check marks, you know, Mm. we're not going to do it. You know what I'm saying? Destroying other people's property, that's not positive. So, yes, you might like tagging a wall. That feels real good to you, but we're going to get you a nice big sketch pad. Hmm. We're going to find you some sidewalk chalk. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. So we have to work with them to, first of all, find their strengths, their skills, Hmm. and then we have to help them. We have to help them. That's the thing. The guidance is necessary. We have to help them channel that energy in a positive, safe, healthy way. And remember that God will never give us more than we can bear. So those backpacks, which everybody tends to use a backpack and they put more in it than they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Like you've seen them backpacks out here. Right. That's not good for your back. That's mm-hmm. good. Loading it with emotional things, just mm-hmm. stuffing them down in there, that's not healthy either. Mm-hmm. So we have to make sure they know there are safe places where they can talk to people that there are people that, you know, they can emote to and not be afraid of their response. You know what I'm saying? I tell my own children, if you don't feel like you can talk to me, I got somebody for you. Hmm. It don't have to be me. And I know I said that in the most broken English. It doesn't have to be me. I just want you to make sure you're expressing yourself in a positive, safe, healthy way. Hmm. So... That's good. Encourage the art, encourage the sports, encourage the, you know, whatever, as long as it's positive, safe, and healthy. Yeah. That's good. And when you do see some of those negative coping skills, you got to flip it real quick, right? Let's say it's, it's a little late, they on the block. Mm. Okay. That's entrepreneurial. You got some organizational skills, you got team building, mm-hmm. leadership. So, 
you gotta you gotta work with folk. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Pull out that strength. Make it positive. Keep it pushing. That's good. Real good. Thank you. Um, one thing that I heard you say is that guidance is necessary, and and I and I think that part of this gets lost sometimes, right? So to Mike's point, you know, where he's referencing the scriptures of two is better than one, like, you know, in a multitude of counselors or safety, right? Like that guidance is in fact necessary. I often think about the complexities of the mind, right? Like I'm one of these people because, you know, I love anatomy and, you know, I've, I've loved that since I was a kid. I've always had an affinity toward the systems of the body, right? And how they function and the synergistic, you know, flow that they have. I've always thought about just how complex the mind is, though. Like, you can't open up your brain, right? Like, right now, you cannot <laughs> open your brain and be like, oh, look, a memory, right? <laughs> oh, look, some trauma, right? Right. If you go look on an x-ray and you have broken your leg, you can see that break. Mm-hmm. Like, that's concrete. <laughs> like, oh, there's a fracture. There's a chip. Here's a muscle issue. Here's some soft tissue injury. You know, when you're looking at certain things, you see swelling. but when you look at the brain, you know, sure, there are there are parts of the brain that when you look at, you know, MRI or something, and people who are skilled, these neurologists and such, there are certain things that they can see that determine, you know, like what type of um, maybe degeneration or something that's happening that's concrete. But in terms of the trauma that we experience and some of that pain that we experience and carry, the body doesn't differentiate. Like it can't, you know, like whether you stub your toe or somebody just cussed you to fool out and you're hurting... Your body interprets that as pain. Oh, and look. No distinction. Go ahead. Because there's so And I think we've had this conversation before, Jed, mm-hmm. about how stress impacts the body sure. physically, mm-hmm. right? So mental stress brings about physical mm-hmm. symptoms. Okay. So sometimes, and it, and it's the thing, we're so individual, it's so beautiful because it looks different for everyone, right? But when we are going back to your original point, mm-hmm. synergistically working together, all systems go mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, all mm-hmm. in check. Body's nice and healthy, right? Okay, yep. I'm not trying to eliminate any foods from your diet. All I'm telling you is that when you as a man thinketh, what? So is he. Okay. So if I'm thinking, all right, I got this. And that is the way I live my life. Then I'm going to treat myself because the words we say to ourselves are what we believe. So like you said, Michael, the lies, but what I tell people all the time is the lies that you tell yourself are the worst kind of all because you believe them. Mm. And when you look in the mirror, because we do not associate lying with being good, you don't see a good person. Mm. That's good. So you have to be intentional with your words and make sure that you are speaking what you want to manifest, right? So we're going back to power of positive thinking, which I can't remember who wrote it, but you know it was a book by somebody. Who was it? Vincent, say it again. Vincent Norman Peel. There you go. Thank you. Read it a long time ago. But we got to, we have to, you know, affirm ourselves. Yeah. So we work on 
writing affirmations and, you know, mantras that align with the things that the positive, safe, healthy things that we want. And you can heal your body. But look, asthma, lung disease, high blood pressure, autoimmune disorders, those are caused by stress in the body. But that stress comes from your perception of the thing, right? Mm -hmm. So the synapse is like, hold up, shawty. And I'm sorry, I can very be non-clinical all the time. Something's not right. (laughs) I'm not going over there. So synapse A did not get to synapse B. The message was lost in translation. So we don't see it. And not being radiologists, we're not going to. But little dark spots begin to appear. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So those little dark spots are what cause the different cancers and different ailments in our body. So we have to be very careful with the way we choose to uh, structure our utterances. Mm, that's good. I.e. be intentional with our words, mm-hmm. because when we claim sickness. And we claim poverty because <laughs> you will not hear me say I'm broke. Mm-hmm. Not, but not ever. I'm not broke. Mm-hmm. I may be financially challenged right now, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be broke. Now, granted, there is benefit in brokenness because in brokenness, we learn that you can be put back together. Right. But by the time we usually get to that point without some guidance, we usually write about this point in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have to model for our young people that it is okay to be broken. We have to show them that things can be put back together. It's good. And, but first we have to show them how to fix it. Mm. Can't just tell them that it can be put back together. You have to model it for them. Show them it can be fixed, that it doesn't have to be thrown away because we're very visual. Mm-hmm. And if you always see things being thrown away and nothing's ever, you know, attempted to be repurposed or upcycled or Mm -hmm. then we just throw everything away because that's what we see. We just it's a throwaway culture. It's a throwaway mindset. Mm. So we have to be very intentional with what we show and very intentional with what we say, you know, because we do want to work on healing this with this so that it all works together. Yeah. That's really good perspective. Um, you know, just kind of going back a little bit to, you know, the fact that the mind is so complex, you know, no one is telling anyone who's wearing glasses, stop wearing your glasses. Right. Or, you know, you mentioned diabetes, right? Like nobody's like, Hey, stop taking <laughs> your med, your metformin or whatever the, right. the stuff is, you know, um, there, you know, you you have to go to the doctor. No one's objecting to going to doc to the doctor because they have, you know, a diabetic condition, right? Nobody's objecting going to the doctor because they have, um, I don't know, high cholesterol, whatever it is. No one's objecting to these things. It's a routine thing that we do, right? We gotta go get our mammograms. Y'all gotta go get your prostate health stuff. Like these are things that are are built into our system, and we know to get these things checked out. And yet, tools available to you. But when it comes to our mental health, in my opinion, our minds are the most complex, like most complicated organ in the body. It is, you know, 
And, and I'm like, so why we just don't get that check? Like we don't have any type of routine maintenance. We have stigmas on that. Mm-hmm. I'm running around here wearing glasses. Nobody's saying, look, you can just go on and get healed from the eye stuff. Everybody, mm-hmm. We've accepted that the culture is when you get older, your eyes are going to start failing a little bit, but every year you need to check your eye health. We've accepted all of these things because that's built into the constructs of our society. And it makes sense also, right? But when it comes to our mental health, the emphasis of let's check in, let's talk to somebody, let's have these fruitful affirming conversations with ourselves and, you know, check in and get guidance from people and, and, and apply, you know, some of those scriptures and things. If you're a believer, we don't have those conversations It's dismissed. And I just find that's interesting. So Mike, it looks like you were, you were ready to say something. So I was thinking about, I'm thinking about, I'm listening to what you both are saying. And I'm, I'm piggybacking off of the last thing that you said. Since I was a child and I watched movies. Mm-hmm. Movie, yes, come on. They always talk about their therapists. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but then you used to have that same conversation with your family. Like, nobody <laughs> no therapists. We right. Like, black, black people, we don't. <laughs> we're just getting to the place to where we realize it's okay to say I'm not okay. That's right. Like yes. we live in a survivalist culture. Mm. You don't have time. If you're at war, you don't have time to go to therapy. Mm. Mm. You know, and that's what it's felt like. You know what I'm saying? Or or just the like the average African American black person in an urban environment where there's it's hostile, mm. where I just realized how crazy it is for having like when I grew up, crackheads were normal. Yeah. That was a normal part of my environment. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I just realized that there are people that didn't, black people that didn't grow up like that. Right. I'm saying like suburban environment where Mm. everybody worked and everybody went and had a job. They were professionals. Like Mm. that's a world that's outside of my world. Mm. You know, like I didn't grow up in that world. You know, I'm talking section eight. I'm talking your phone off Mm. or on. You know what I'm saying? And by the time it's back on, you got a different number. Right. And I'm talking that struggle. I'm talking about focused hope for government food, blocks of cheese. I'm talking, mm-hmm. you know, that stuff was normal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not therapy. Like, what? How? when are we going to get to go to therapy? Right, right. <laughs> After we, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it, for them, it's normal. That's a normal part of their world. You know, and I think it was, it was for rich people. Mm. Yes. Mm. So to that point. We got a few minutes, guys. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So psychology's not old. It's one of the newer, True. Things, you know, 100, maybe 120 years in. Okay. Yeah. So you take 120 years in and then you take Black people who they are not at all mm. trying to figure out what's going on up here. Because it's probably not good. But I'm not going to put words in people's mouths. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I digress. 